You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hey, hey, everyone. Good to be back in studio with you. A huge shout out to all of our new listeners. I know a lot of you recently saw the video I was in with Jubilee Media, an awesome company doing um, great work creating a conversation surrounding difficult cultural issues from abortion, homosexuality to pornography, uh, pro or anti-Israel, you name it. They are really creating a dialogue on both sides. So I want you to really check it out. Uh, I've posted links to it on my social media. You can find it at Tim Ray's. I know a lot of you are just listening to the show for the first time after watching that video. Welcome. I hope you enjoy and send me your questions, feedback, thoughts. You can find us at radiotrending.com. Today, I have in studio with me Dr. Philip Chavez, who has incredible work having to do with character formation. And today has really focused his mission to working with men at the Men's Academy. That's right. We're trying to help men uh, establish themselves and be very well anchored and adjusted as leaders, protectors, and providers among other things. So as we're talking about the formation of boys and men and women or girls into women, I've got to talk about this phenomena that took place back in the late 90s and early O's that I remember as I was growing up, I will really attribute to why I have friends or can look back at people who were a little older than me or even some that were exposed to the show prematurely because they really shouldn't have been watching it uh, in high school who watched that show Sex and the City. Uh, I doubt you're familiar with it or ever saw an episode. I've seen, to confess, probably about 20 minutes of it total. And I remember I had friends and family members, extended family members, you know, you're over at someone's house and they decide they want to put something on. I remember awkwardly as really quite a young child in many Mm -hmm. ways or a very young teenager trying to avoid watching it, change the subject, ask for a more lighthearted movie or just outright leave the room. Uh, This story that ultimately centered in New York City around a single lifestyle, um, and that really promoted sexual promiscuity. And again, I attribute to why I have, you know, extended family members, friends who haven't gotten married or who have insisted on one child's way to live because it uh. offers you freedom. And now the actual author of Sex in the City, Candace Bushnell, has actually come out recognizing that as she's entered into her 50s, going toward the 60s, She realizes that she's, quote, truly alone without children. And she realizes how they're an anchor for people who enter this age range. That's right, especially for women. You know, um, there's something about childbearing that's so, so close to their nature. I remember my sister, Catherine, before she got married, she says, yes, finally, I can have another bond with my sisters now that I hope to have children. So she saw that as making something of a deep impact in her being. 
You know, we see today, if you were to look at women of childbearing years, that Pew Research Center shows that one in five women are childless. And this is actually two times higher than the 1970s. So it used to be one in 10. Now it's one in five. It's becoming more and more common. In fact, we're seeing that many women of childbearing years wish that they had children. And this is the regret of so many women in their 30s and 40s, people who watch Sex in the City or bought sure. the Cosmo lie that your life is better with sexual promiscuity, sexual freedom, and being freed from children. That's right. And and really, the, the hyper-focus on career becomes all-important and all-consuming. And, you know, it's interesting. Men and women both have to give themselves to something. So it's fascinating about women. They're, they're very tenacious when it comes, whatever they're involved in, they put their, their whole heart and soul into it. And so I think what happens is when women do that with their work and, the, and they, they have that same passion, that dedication, which women often have, they can get so well immersed that they do eclipse that natural childbearing desire. Here are just a couple of brief stories. You can even just look at act- actress Kim Cantrell, who w- was actually in Sex in the City. She outright admits that her schedule didn't allow her to have time for kids. And even the author of this article, as I was reading it, she kept emphasizing, well, I had two kids and having kids is hard. But she at the same time is trying to point to without kids it's even worse for some people, but people think, well, at least I have two kids or I'm shooting for those two children. But so many people, I mean, I look to the women all over Europe and Italy in particular who were not able to have more children, regret that they didn't have more than two children. And this is becoming the story of American women as well. That's right. It is tragic. And I think I think there's a mentality out there that kind of says, well, two is is about enough and it makes me feel like I've done my job, my part, and it'll make me feel like I've I've been a parent. But any more than that will be an encumbrance upon my lifestyle, my way of living and my freedom. One woman, she's the author of the book, Otherhood, really shares this grief. Her name's Melanie Notkin, and she talks about how she eventually learned how to keep to herself and find that level of half happiness. But she remembers at one point kind of waking up and wondering, you know, she had moved to the big city and she was wondering, where is he? The man I moved here for. And the saddest line from her is, and where are my babies? Yeah, I remember her giving an interview so long ago, and um, I forget what year it was. When, in fact, when she first came out the book, and I forget who she was interviewing with. And I re- remember her saying, she was interviewed, and she said, well, why haven't you found that right one? And she, she responded something like, well, we just won't settle for anyone. Women just won't settle just to, just to get married. They want the right person. And I'm not sure, too, maybe sometimes these women who who are so focused on doing so well and perfecting themselves in their work, they'll want that kind of same perfection and flawlessness in a husband, which is otherwise difficult to find. Mm. You know, I look at another one of her lines, Melanie Notkin, and she says, quote, motherhood is a burden that we would give anything to bear. She's speaking mm-hmm. for those women who have found themselves childless. Yeah, that's very, very powerful. Yeah, eventually I think women come to realize once they have children, they see their identity and their purpose. And um, and yeah, that there's something about the self-giving awakens in them. You know, once a woman becomes a mother, she becomes that there's a dynamic in her that completely changes where she she naturally becomes a servant of all and her heart expands. 
and her desire to be selfless also uh, magnifies itself. This is a challenge to everyone listening is we need to reawaken adults because the reality is 80 percent of child uh, of women who are in childbearing years, 80 percent of them have not had children. And in fact, 81% of that group actually want to have kids. And so not only are they not having them, but they wish they could. And this is why we see this crisis of turning to single parenting through in vitro fertilization, because at least in that way, they think I can have my own flesh and blood. But the message that we as Catholics need to reawaken is why, how do we address and return adults to a parenthood into parenting because we have the checking out of ever becoming a parent and unfortunately contraception and abortion sure. have their damages on the person as well and potentially new life but then we need to return adults to parenting they're already existing children that they're turning away from in some ways that's right and i think it's ultimately that we need to recover more of a family orientation in life and i think what's happening is you know, children aren't being raised with um, aspirations to really being mothers or fathers anymore. In fact, then it happens that after a woman's working so long, then that burgeoning to be a mother actually catches up with her. Maybe because she realizes, I don't know, there's, there's, she's running out of time or whatnot. But um, that that desire to be mother and father should, needs to be planted in the child even at an early age. And so you can even see it in the little, little girl who wants to, you know, hold dolls and whatnot. There's something about that which needs to be validated and, the, and the, that proper desire to be properly cultivated. And it's not that you are being groomed to have children. It's that you are called into relationship. That's right. You are called to love. And having another human being is one of the greatest challenges to the human person to step outside of themselves with another human being to raise another up. And and on the other other spectrum, too, it's not just a challenge. It's, it's the greatest of joys. And so I think, um, yes, when we're raising our children, we have to uh, help them see the joy of what it is to be a parent. And I think the problem is, I think children, when they're raised nowadays, I think they see more of the burden of the parents uh, in trying to raise them instead of the joy that should be coming forth. And I wouldn't even, I would argue that they don't just see the burden of the parents, but the burden that they are led to believe that they are. Mm, and so if, be right. if yeah. the I'm a burden, right, is I think right. how the mindset goes, if I'm a burden, why would... I now burden myself with That's a burden, right. or why would I make someone else feel that way even? That's right. And so, yeah, I, I think what happens too when children see how costly they are, um, I guess through through aspirations of good education or other good things they could be doing, I don't know, maybe they that's, they don't want to take on those burdens in themselves and then support other children uh, in return. And you know what, this actually, it's a little bit of a tangent, but this actually touches on the whole abortion argument. If someone perceives themselves as always a burden, this is why it, it is okay in our culture to allow for abortion based on whether or not a child is unwanted and wanted. If the child is going to be unwanted, well, I was a burden, so why would I want an unwanted child for them to grow up that way or for me to feel that way about that child that's right that's that's a very good point and so and so it's it's the it's because the child has dignity is where the value should be and so so yes to give a child a sense of its dignity uh is is one of the most precious inheritance you could bestow on a person 
Thanks, everyone, for listening. You're listening to Trending with Timory. That is Dr. Philip Chavez. You can take us with you on the road. Do not miss an episode. Head over to radiotrending.com. You can share this episode with any friends. Text it to them. Tell them to listen to it as they're getting ready or while they're driving that long commute that continues to just grow for so many people to get to work or whatever activities you might be traveling to. I want to dive into, again, this topic of parenting and how for many parents, they feel ill-equipped. We talked about this on a recent episode. Dr. Chavez, there's also a physiological defense mechanism that you wrote about in your dissertation talking about how, in fact, many parents have this defense specifically regarding the formation of sexuality in boys and girls and really the formation of their character as boy or as girl. Sure. Okay, let's see. I'm not sure exactly what avenue of that, but when you started talking about that, one of the things that that happened in years past, Timory, is there was a great silence about things of human sexuality, and so what happens is, um, and this toxified many minds in the, well, 40s, 50s, 60s, and even to some extent in the 70s, where to speak about sexuality was a very taboo thing, and so you had a bunch of you had parents or children who became parents growing up thinking there's something wrong about sexuality. It's not something we're supposed to talk about. And when that happens, it becomes something dirty or unclean or something very uncomfortable. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I believe priests and bishops didn't somewhat deal with a lot of these issues of abuse, sexual abuse, is because the whole the whole realm of it, they grew up in a culture by which it was just thought of something uncomfortable and that you don't talk about and you don't deal with. And to that exact point, I have people, I just mentioned a story a couple of weeks ago on air where I have people come up to me after talks, adults who are, you believe are well-formed in their faith and they sure. really are striving and trying, but there are sexual moral questions that they have that they feel uncomfortable asking a priest about. Interesting. And, yeah. you know, I think this touches on the issue. So many parents, good willed parents are uncomfortable talking to their kids. And I hear from those kids and they said, That's right. I was just told just don't do it. Or there was this a huge discomfort from my parents. So what happens? The child goes and seeks answers online. And when you start searching for things, having to do with sexual, orientation and male body parts female body parts even just trying to understand your body what's scary is that this attack of trying to understand us trying to understand our identity is attacked with pornography yeah and that yeah and that the pornography becomes a way of of trying to demystifying what their parents should have been telling them all along but what as you were talking timory is a as a uh resource we talked about um, from papal teaching on the Christian education of youth by Pius XI. One of the things he said in there, he says, it's very important for educators to write books and give resources for parents. And he says not, he says, and he makes this proviso too, he says not in a, just a mere speculative way, but with practical application. And so to help these parents, today's parents, they need they need resources, resources which give them the at least some suggestions of how they can raise their children, you know, and, and teach them about uh, human sexuality. Actually, you know, give them lines to actually even say that they can use. Because I think what the problem is, most parents uh, wouldn't know how to communicate some of the mysteries of life as their children are growing. And this is where we find very beneficial within the Catholic Church that when you bring a chastity speaker in or someone to speak, my request often is, well, will you guys also bring 
the parents in for a talk, maybe the week before, maybe an hour before, maybe you split it up and have two talks going at once so that the parents too are receiving this information. Because my message to parents is you need to be on board with this so that they may be receiving this idea at their Catholic school or at youth group, but it's being affirmed, encouraged and discussed in the home. That's right. We have to we have to be educating parents, you know, and in some way, while the Holy Father did say it's, you know, it's important to have practical resources for parents. You know, when parents come up with that question, well, I don't know how to teach my children. The answer the challenge is something It's very, very simple. What would you have otherwise want your parents to tell you? And so if parents would actually seek, you know, search their hearts, yeah, I wish my parents would have told me this when I was younger or explained this to me at this age. You know, if they start searching their own heart on the kind of formation they would have wanted, then they could probably understand what they're supposed to be conferring to their children. It's that simple. I think parenting needs to be that intuitive as well. And I want to touch on an important point that you mentioned prior to the show, that when we're talking about sexual formation, we're talking about the sexual formation of the sexes. That includes sex, but so many people reduce sex education to this is how you do it and so forth. You know, the problems, we've talked about this recently on the show of the sexualization of children. We're talking about the character formation, which includes your sexuality, because that's an integrated part of the human person, as the catechism talks about. Sure. That we need to be in full conformity with ourselves and adapt into society as faithful, truthful, honest, virtuous individuals. That's right. And um, when when you talked about sexuality again, there, Timory, I think you were referring in a context of the physical realm, right? And so sexuality has a realm where it's it's about the way we think, it's about the way we act, it's about the emotions we have, it's about the way we interrelate. And so there is there is more of a wider picture of sexuality that does encompass much of our being and much of our faculties that that we all need to be trained in and and, and proper sexual integration needs to be given and bestowed to children. That's Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you like to listen on podcasts. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast, head over to radiotrending.com. We are talking about this formation of parents to help them better educate their children because Adults aren't wanting to parent to begin with, so they're avoiding sure. having children, and they're checking out of parenting to begin with, or also, said so to begin with, like three times. <laughs> so we want to dive into what is filling in the blanks when the parents aren't. I mentioned earlier Google searches that become a very quick and easy, but sure. when that child's not receiving that time and affirmation, because sometimes things don't always have to be explained, but they have to be lived out. They have to be lived, right. But instead, kids are checking out and filling in the blanks that the parent should be fulfilling or even overseeing what the child's doing with social media. We just hand the kid the tablet at two years old. We hand him the iPhone just to distract them and appease them so that I can get things done more easily. And I get it. It makes it easier. Sure. But what happens to the kid? That's right. And I think at a deeper, more wider level, I think what what would help in all of these things is when a parent, when they raise their children, they're very cognizant that there needs to be ongoing dialogue between parent and child. And that Children should feel safe to bring things up to their parents and, and, and not to approach them. And parents should welcome that and be very vi- inviting to their children, even the youngest ages, to tell them what's on their hearts. And I think once dialogue is opened up and, and there's a, a deep um, mutual respect and, um, and honor for a child's thoughts and ideas and whatnot and, and 
dialogue is, is a constant habit between parent and child, then I think many of these problems would be ameliorated. Because um, a child could, it would be safe to ask about, you know, things of sexuality they otherwise wouldn't have. Um, not because it's just simply curious, but they know they could finally feel safe about bringing up anything with their parents. And they may, need to be raised to feel that way. And I think that that element of feeling that way is at the heart of this. On the last episode we did, I really want to recommend to everyone, it, you may not get this episode on your network, so please head over and pull up the episodes with Dr. Philip Chavez at the website, radiotrending.com, because we talk a lot about emotional development on that episode and how when the child is not emotionally developed, the challenges that it poses. And if a child does not feel emotionally secure in asking right. questions, that's going to lead to a lack of affirmation and really um, negative playing out years later in their behavior. That's right. And the dominant emotion that children, that parents need to be watching for in their children is that emotion of fear. You know, fear is, is um, it's, it's a loaded word because there's many different types and species of fear. And there's many things that children can be afraid of. They're afraid of what they don't know as well as what they do know. They're afraid of, uh, they can easily be made afraid of persons or afraid of authorities. They can be made afraid of um, instruments. They can be made afraid of a, many of a host of things. And so a parent needs to understand that as a child's growing, it will develop fears, especially when the, the mind is not well informed about certain things. This is why if a parent's not instructing a child as the child is developing, that child will develop fears about it, what it doesn't know, about the mysteries that should be unraveled. And so this is very, it's incumbent upon parents to then instruct children the realities of life so the children don't have to be afraid of that. And, and even realities that are just very simple realities about how things work or who does what or how this, how this operates or what this person does in life because the because we one of the things we can be afraid of is is ignorance of of the reality around us this is why encouraging children to ask questions and creating the realm of inquisitiveness is so important you know i think this gets even on the issue of allowing children to roam and get hurt and scrape their knees they're discovering and learning their own physical boundaries with their senses how to use them how to test them how far is too far But even in asking that questions, you know, sometimes I will see it, you know, we're out in public and a little kid's asking the parent a question. The parent doesn't respond. The kid starts Mm. yanking on the parent's clothes. The parent doesn't respond. The kid finally gives up. And maybe 30 seconds later, the parent looks up like, oh, what's going on? They missed the question. And that child received an encounter that shows that when you ask a question, it's not answered. And maybe it's even burdensome to ask that question. Sure. Or that's even wrong to ask or that's uh, inconvenient or that you're, yes, that, that you're almost disturbing your parents when you're asking a question. And you're right. Uh, children should be made to feel free and, and welcome to ask questions whenever they have them. So let's dive into the marital responsibilities. So right now we're talking about how adults are checking out of parenting, but adults are checking out of being parents to begin with. The church is very clear on this. There are two elements that are fundamental in marriage, procreation and education of children. That's right. And, And again, that's where parents will ultimately find their joy and a real purpose and reason for in some way their being. Ultimately, yes, we're called to be incorporated into Christ and and for an orientation of eternal salvation, but we do that in and through family life. And when we make family, again, the center 
and and relationships between husband and wife, very generous in family life, generous toward life, they will be duly rewarded for that that generosity. And you will find that those who have fostered a kind of selfishness in the procreation of life, there's somewhat of a uh, adult happiness in their own lives. Well, isn't that the story that we just spoke of, of the own author right. of Sex and the City, Candace Bushnell, and how she has this really sorrow over truly being alone as she enters her 50s and 60s, finding that she never had children. And now she begins to see why they were so important. That's right. And so a a great inheritance you give to your child to show them validation and their own dignity, but also that you yourself as a parent, you have great joy in being a parent, that you find it deeply satisfying and um, that you find deep purpose in that. Let's look back to some older church documents as resources that are easily pulled up online. You can print them. You know, one of which that I discovered through you is Truth and Meaning, really a, a letter to parents uh, having to do with sexual education, which is so important. What others do you recommend? Gosh, there's uh, Familiaris Consortio by John Paul II, which is actually a, a well-known document as well. Um you know, it's interesting just to even do a search of some of the things that, um, and you've seen in my dissertation, uh, some of the quotes. And there are some books, of course, they've been out of print for years, on of, of Pius XII, especially on the family. You know, back in the 60s, he was called the Pope of the Family. And I think if we can re- uncover some of those things. But there's another book, too, um, uh, a book of Pius XII, which was named His Addresses to Newlyweds. And I, he actually gave those addresses during World War II. And I think there's some of the most important um, doctrine in there, teachings in there about about family life, its dignity, and about the raising of children. The teaching and the knowledge of the church is so active and robust and can provide so much guidance and meaning in our own lives. It's important to turn back the pages, turn back the centuries to what the church has been teaching all this time about faith, marital love, having children. So please go check those out. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. You know, we spoke earlier about the Sex and the City author regretting not having children. But, you know, at the same time as this story came out, I saw a article about how Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are vowing to not have any more than two children. Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy, what are your thoughts there? Well, again, I think um, they've just been raised in a generation which has taught them that, well, two's your limit. And if you do any more than that, it's going to hurt the environment. It's going to impose upon your lifestyle and it's going to keep you from pursuing your dreams. In fact, this is actually what adults are saying is the main reason why they either don't want to have children or have more children. It has to do with lifestyle and their own personal recreational desires. That's right. And it's a shame that, again, if, if we're not raised to see the beauty of family life and really raised in large families, it's otherwise very difficult to foster that kind of attitude of generosity toward life um, when there's so much out there that speaks so negatively about having many children. 
you know, I was looking at a quote from St. John Paul the Great, and he talks about what we're seeing in the culture, how essentially with the types of sexual education that we've been receiving, uh, the reduction of femininity and masculinity, the over-sexualization of children, essentially women have become the object of men. That's happened. Then he talks about how children have become a hindrance to parents. That's all what we've been talking about now. And then he talks about how the family institution becomes an obstruction to the freedom of its members. This is precisely what's being taught in the school systems to children. This is what the Sex and the City author really instilled and taught and lived by. And she encouraged many young women to do the same. And now this is what Harry and Meghan Markle are living as well. Yeah. And to the extreme, Timory, and I've seen this in Europe, um, marriage has now become something unintelligible. In fact, now you've got to give an account why you would want to even be married in the first place. And in some areas, even to have children becomes something almost unintelligible. And so what we're seeing now, too, are patterns, and we'll see them more in this country. Of course, and we're seeing this affect us now, where even men in their 20s to become married and to have children, that is not a prospect by which they're even considering. Oh, and or they're either not considering it or fear kicks in too intensely. That's right. That's right. Fear the burdens and all the rest that they've been told that would come to them. And truth be told, I mean, it. it um, I think it is the case that to raise a children in today's day and age does take more sacrifice. And so I think that's one of the realities where there's not so much supports as we had in years past. And so I think uh, children, uh, older children, those in their 20s, 30s, they need to be summoned to this high calling despite the difficulties that the present culture offers. In this unintelligibleness that you say is present in Europe regarding why would you get married? Why would you have children? That's here in the United States as well. I think we see it maybe a little bit more in California, uh, less than maybe the center part of the country. But I mean, I even remember when I was getting married, I was engaged. There were a lot of people, not in faith-based circles, but in secular circles, who they'd hear I was engaged and, oh, wow, like they're almost choking on their own words. They can't say congratulations. Are are you sure you want to do that? I mean, I guess they'll tell you congratulations. There's a lot of negativity around the entire idea of getting married today. Yeah, and I guess part of that is the prospect of divorce, which is is seemed to be growing more and more. And I think some people, I guess, have the uh, the idea that well, why would you want to get married? Just live together, and and uh, then then risk marriage and divorce later on. And try it out, right? Yeah, try, try it, it out. out. Make sure you know. <laughs> and that alone has so many additional struggles that if only the data were more present, more often presented to young people, they would see this actually isn't the better choice. That's right. And the, and the data just shows that those who live together have less of a chance of staying together in the long run. That's right. <laughs> staying together every marrying if they marry it often ends in divorce and the increased risk of physical abuse sexual abuse and we could sure. go on on child abuse you name it when you go into that commitment of living together prior to marriage you open not just your heart but your body to a tremendous amount of heartbreak that's right and i think ultimately too is just to go back to marie i think it's it's incumbent that a person really learn the dignity of marriage and family life from their own parents and their own relatives around them and so the more the more we can foster certain generosity toward life and ourselves the more that will be one of the best inheritance we give on our children uh, nieces nephews and all those who are in our periphery 
I want to dive into sexual formation and how it's key for shaping all areas of a person's life. And again, when we're talking about sexual formation. I'm using that because we talk about sex ed today. We just did a big episode a couple weeks ago about sexual education with Michael Gasparro. And when we talk about sex education, it should be the formation of boys as boys and girls as girls, recognizing their sexual differences as a baseline for understanding the identity of the human person and some of the great gifts and even some of the challenges. So Dr. Philip Chavez is with me. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Can you talk about some of the key areas that shapes a person's development of life? Sure. Uh, Just to go back, take a step back, when the church often uses or we hear the term sex education, the church meaning of that is the complete formation of the person as male or as female. And so that's kind of vital to understand their characteristics of each. You know, manliness and femininity, which we teach that at the earliest ages. You know, at, at a young age, a boy needs to learn you don't hit girls. Boys don't hit girls. And so that's one of the, the one of the first lessons, I think. I'm not sure if there's one more core than that, that boys learn about what it is to be a boy and to always, you know, safeguard girls so the defender in them is um, is woken up. But there is so much so much to un- to unpack here in so far as in sex education, it is it is a longstanding project because it's not just simply education, the facts of life and that kind of revelation to a child, but it's the complete formation of what it means to be a boy or a girl lifelong. And so those kinds of lessons need to be inculcated and given and imparted to the child um, throughout its entire life once it begins to understand. And so those lessons you learn even at the age of five, the age of seven, the prepubescent, postpubescent level, and especially that that education needs to be more concerted during a child's or during an adolescent's years. You know, an adolescence comes from the code of Latin word means um, becoming an adult. And so and so as as children, especially or young people are in that period becoming adults, the the training in terms of sexual differentiation, responsibility, family life, all those things need to be imparted more at, I'll use the word, at more intense level. There needs to be more, or rather, let's say, more concerted training needs to happen during those years. More rigor, more strictness, and not strictness to the point of damaging, but helping to d- explain and develop those guidelines exactly. according to the age. Exactly, because ultimately, remember, it, you know, ideally, in the order of nature, we're supposed to be forming, as I understand this, and there's some people who differ on this, we're supposed to be forming girls to be wives and mothers by the time they're 16, 17, 18, men to be husbands and fathers by the time they're 18, 19, in that area. And so it's important that we form for adulthood in these years. And I think what happens, we have this idea that, well, you're going to go to college and whatnot. And so we look at life as like, well, we don't have to talk about these family realities very much now or what it is to bear children, because that's something to think about when you get out of college. No, it's during those adolescent years that it's vital to inculcate those values of what it is to be actually husband and wife. You know, I was thinking, I was traveling uh, in Michigan a few months ago and I was with my sister-in-law and she had her baby and there was a group of teenagers who just became overwhelmed with joy upon seeing the baby. And they just wanted to look at her and they kept trying to stand nearby. And for quite a long period of time, they kept glancing over and just smiling and just radiating joy. 
And I remember when I was a kid, people mm. used to be that way. Jesse, my mom, when she was pregnant, I remember with my youngest sister, they would be so excited. I remember one friend in particular would always be asking about the baby. Yet today I find a lot of the time teens are so distracted um, and maybe because it's also a lack of formation, there's this disinterest in babies and pregnancy in many ways. Yeah, that could be. Uh, maybe there's a, maybe they're just not in their, their realm so much anymore. And this is why family gatherings are so important because the new generations, the new, the, 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 the babies that come into the family need to be treasured in community. And I think that that's vital that a person needs to be around that. This is why these church communities become so important because kids or adolescents when they're growing up or children of any age when when a child is brought into the community um, there's something very special this is why baptism becomes very very special we make that very important on, on, a, on a supernatural and a natural level that we we come to understand the beauty and the dignity and just the joy of what it is to have a new member in the family let's talk about another area of formation for that character modesty I think this is really important. I've actually seen it done really, really well over the last few years with uh, some young parents where they talk about how um, uh, the honor of the body and like the respectability of clothing and sure. clothing specific areas to the point where it instills, God forbid there was any threat to that child, right? Physical harm, sexual harm, which is unfortunately so predominant in the culture today. Just look at the Me Too movement, the crisis sure. in the church, that a child would be able to advocate that this is something special not to be violated. Yeah, and, and the practice of modesty is something which really helps safeguard chastity as Pius left the Pius the extensively spoke about. In fact, they did not use the word chastity as much as they used the word modesty, interestingly mm -hmm. enough. But yes, the whole the whole realm of that respect for the body. You know, in some way, Timur, I can't help but think that that really starts in the church. You know, it's, it's amazing how immodest some people can dress going to church. In fact, it's kind of shocking. You know what? A lot of the time when I talk about modesty, because I really don't like talking about modesty because it's such an sensitive issue that when I talk sure. about it, I real, really, a lot of the time, appeal to honoring the occasion. You know, I remember one time I was with a bunch of middle school boys and I asked them, we were talking about modesty in general and pornography. And I said, if I said earlier, you know, I was hanging out in a t-shirt and shorts. I was near the beach. I said, but when I came here to see you guys, I recognized I had to change. Would there be something wrong if I wore my t-shirt and shorts to come and present to you guys here at the church? And they acknowledged that. And I think a lot of the time, if you begin to address honor the occasion, the location, not just your body, but who you're seeing, you can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Call to action for everyone in California or anyone who has friends in California. Challenge them to take quick action here. SB 24 is something proposed in the legislature that would be a large expansion of abortion projecting numbers we're seeing that they're saying it will end up being 500 additional abortions per month in the state of California by bringing RU46 abortion pills to UC and Cal State University campuses. So please go check out my Twitter and Facebook at Timmery, that's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, -E, and download the letter, sign it, and mail it in before August 19th. We're really trying to influence these legislators that more abortion 
for college students will harm the woman and kill the child. And we need to speak up. It's important. Yes, absolutely. That's Dr. Philip Chavez in studio with me. I want to dive into what does positive sexual adjustment as male and as female look like? Sure. Well, that becomes a um, complicated question so far as that'll look different depending on the kind of age a person is at and even to some extent their state of life but it means sex adjustment means that the person is is adjusted or well formed with respects to things related to the sexual nature and the sexual life and that and if we were to break that down i think we would break it down in terms of one's thoughts about sexuality their actions and their emotions so for thoughts the mind would be sufficiently informed about the nature of sexuality appropriate to the to the level the person's act at and so not only is the mind would be well informed but also they wouldn't be so preoccupied about things sexual that happens to be a difficulty with men have now their nature will will incline them that way but if they get the proper mentoring they'll learn not to be so preoccupied about those things in terms of actions to have that self-possession means one is in self-control of their of their will and that usually is found too what's 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 very important and i know uh John Paul II spoke about this sort of Pius XI is that when one certainly learns temperance in all things, then one's going to have temperance when it comes to the sexual drive. And so it's, it's going to almost be impossible to have temperance in the sexual drive when there's no temperance in just the person's um, personality or temperance in their will that's been established. And also, too, which is on a more delicate level, to be in control, uh, have proper self control in sex adjustment would mean one is in, in, in good possession of their feelings. And I find that, um, again, if a person is, in, uh, if they've been raised in a culture of fear or even raised in a culture of anger, a culture of silence or these negative kind of emotional dynamics, that will actually have an effect on how a person approaches sexuality. And so if, if one is in inculcated so much fear in their life, they'll actually attach that to sexuality, which is so encompassing in their life. And and so when those kinds of subjects or actions or images come forth in their experience, it's actually met with fear. And so in all these, all these different things, the thoughts, the actions, the emotions, when all of these things are somewhat well adjusted, then we can say a person has proper sex adjustment. But I think above all, Tim Marie, is that the, the mind is properly informed about things of sexuality and there is overall temperance and there is, to sum up, little toxic fear in the personality that a person's understanding of um, sexuality, that there's no fear attached to, to any kind of element of it. I'd like to talk about temperance for a second here because you've mentioned it multiple times. And I think this is part of the struggle. We don't know what the virtues are. They're That's right. words that are undefined for us. So they're not only actions that we don't know how to live out, but they're words that aren't defined. Can you talk about temperance? Sure, that's um, the all four cardinal virtues, prudence, justitude, fortitude, and temperance, right? Yeah. So there are all these things which regulate certain our mind and our wills about things to know and, and, and actions to take. Now, when it comes to temperance, temperance is a little bit difficult because it could be about either the things we even know or the things that we even do. We even have to be tempered about that which we know. It's a good thing to have knowledge but even that desire has to be regulated so that we don't we don't have this hyper kind of fixation on knowing many things. Okay, so there's there's temperance and knowledge and, and knowing the right kinds of things too. There's some things worth knowing, some things not so much worth knowing. Um, so there's temperance even things of, of knowledge and things to learn. However, the temperance more proximately what we're talking about here is the temperance in human action. 
Now, in human action, we usually we do one of two things. We, we try to attain goods or to avoid evils. Now, more approximately, the kind of temperance we're talking about is the action toward goods. And so in temperance, one develops a habit to actually use goods or seek goods in, in proper in proper mode. And so in moderation, in moderation, yeah. uh, that's the word I should have used. And so, yes. Yeah, so even, I, you know, in social media, we could speak of a temperance there in eating. There's a certain temperance in the kind of amusements we take part in, even in how much news we consume. That's right. I, mean, I can even talk about myself, you know, some of the issues I deal with. I talk a lot about gender ideology and abortion, contraception, homosexuality. I have to be temperate in the amount of research I do because I'll say sometimes there's so much going on. To what That's point right. do I need to scandalize myself in order to actually properly communicate and respond to these issues of the culture? You know, it's interesting as you said that, Timory. One of the things that came to mind in an all act of virtue, especially in the Christian realm, there's, there's a perspective we have of, yes, wanting to do right action. But if we make our humanity about doing the right, just doing the right things, that will keep us in fear when we're in preoccupation about how to act. But rather, when we proceed from an identity as a beloved son or beloved daughter, when we move in identity and, and move forth in all the things that we do, you know, when you come here in studio, when you're very cognizant of your identity as a beloved daughter of the Heavenly Father, that's really your guidepost in, in moving forward in all that you, you do. And so, so as much as it is to, be, is to embrace right action and the cardinal virtues, and especially even temperance, it's in some way important that we stand on a foundation of our own human dignity as a beloved son and beloved daughter of God and kind of make that our foundation stone for all our activity. And there's a peacefulness that occurs. And I think that if you understand there's this letting go of everything revolves around my actions, what I think, what I do, it's an right. act of humility and humility itself is a virtue as well. I think so. Yeah. And so when we can embrace that kind of humility, it's, it's much easier to embrace when we simply anchor that as, as a son of, of, or daughter of the heavenly father, because humility isn't just a self abnegation of oneself or to speak little of oneself. It's to see reality for what it really is. And, and there is act of humility to embrace ourselves as, as truly understanding we are loved by a father. We've been, been made worthy by him. You're grounded. You're That's grounded right. in who you are in your relationship. And you're also grounded in terms of your ego. You're not as That's important right. as you think you are. That's right. And then when we come to understand our own dignity, then we can understand the dignity of others and act according to in to that manner so so it's Even hard when we think they don't deserve it Sorry. that that can be the case too <laughs> yes and so so for example you we just opened up this this last segment with talking about women being used as objects when a man comes to understand his own dignity then he could see the understanding of the dignity of the woman who's in in, in before him mm -hmm. and then when it comes to his human actions of temperance it's not just that he learns how to be temperance in all things but that's also guided by his understanding of his own dignity and the dignity of the one he's dealing with. You know, another good example of temperance has to do with gossiping. You know, mm. there are times where I remember one time in particular, uh, a story, someone was bringing something up about some information that was really intriguing about someone. And I mean, it was going to go down a rabbit hole that would sure. be very enlightening and very interesting. And I'm sure the story was going to be really good. And I remember this like, oh, wow, 
And I realized that that oh wow moment of was what was about to come, it wasn't shared yet, but just the teaser was there, was so intriguing. But I realized that oh wow moment was also about a lot of pain in someone's life. And I remember saying, you know what, probably just shouldn't be said. And you know, it was one of those moments, I'm sharing a good moment on my sure. part here, where I just said, you know, maybe you just shouldn't say it. And I remember other people in the room saying, okay, great, you're gonna have to share it when she's not here. But it was one of those moments where that's where we need to have moments like that of temperance. When the curiosity is peaking too high, when the physical arousal of the body is occurring, when we want to see that scandalous scene on the television, that's temperance needing to kick in when it's not sometimes. And specifically, Shimmery, you pointed that temperance needs to kick in in terms of recognizing that person's dignity. Because once that's done, then you're not going to want to so speak ill of them, even if it's just to just to to gossip about what it may be true about what's happened to them or them themselves. But but when you come to see their dignity, it tends to temper um, the way we'll approach them or to even talk about them. That's Dr. Philip Chavez. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Dr. Chavez can be found at themensacademy.com. And in fact, you have the Men's Summit coming up here in the fall. That's right, or at least in, in the Philadelphia area in September uh, 21st. It's a Masculine Genius Institute Summit. And people can go on masculinegeniusinstitute.com and find that. But we try to get into the a core of what it is to be a man and a woman. This year we're going to be discussing, Timory, actually, I should have mentioned this earlier, we're going to actually be discussing what it what it is for a man to um, live and be in college life what does that look like his relationships his responsibilities his finances mm. all these things his his prospects for marriage his approach toward his future all these things and subjects we'll be covering at the Mask and Genius Institute on September 21st in Philadelphia. So be sure to find that where again? They can find it directly at MasculineGeniusInstitute.com. Who are some of the speakers besides yourself? Gosh, there's Mark Houck, myself, the director of evangelization. I forget his name. I forget the few others that are They're on the... They're at the Diocese of Philadelphia. Yes. Uh-huh, Excellent. There. So yes. be sure to go and check out that and all of Dr. Philip Chavez's work at themensacademy.org. If you enjoyed the show, let us know. Leave us a comment. You can head over to radiotrending.com. You guys have a great week. Keep working on growing in virtue. If you have questions about your faith, seek answers to form yourself and to create more virtue. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 